Thanks. Good morning, everybody. My name is Barb, and I am a very grateful member of Alan. Hi, Hi, Barb! That wasn't very good to say your name again. <laughs> Apparently, that wasn't very good. I thought it was great. But anyway, my name's Barb. Hi, Barb! That's wonderful. Thanks. I would like to thank the committee for asking me to come today. Um, really what I would love to do, but I, I should just leave Richard guessing and not mention <laughs> anything whatsoever about um, my relationship with this theater. I love that thing. You know, I was so disappointed when Paul Newman passed away because I have had a relationship with Paul Newman for a million years. <laughs> Anyway, you know, um, when I introduced myself, I said my name is Barb, and I'm a very great Al-Anon member, and I truly am. And that is what I am as an Al-Anon member. Um, I also um, am a child of God. I'm a woman. I'm a friend. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a grandmother. Those are things that I believe define me, and being an Al-Anon member, too defines me. Most days I pray it does define me. Richard mentioned that I'm currently serving in the position of delegate as Area 89. It's a blessing and it's a privilege and it's a very exciting thing. But it is not what defines me. I'm serving as delegate. I'm not a delegate. I'm an Al-Anon member. And you know what? The day I forget that, I'm in huge trouble. And so would Saskatchewan Alamon be, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the theme of the roundup is living one day at a time. And, you know, I remember early on in my year sitting in um, in an Alamon meeting in Whitehorse, Yukon. Yukon, not Northwest Territories. But anyway, that, that close, north of Sixty. Um, I was sitting in this meeting room in Whitehorse, and Whitehorse is... Um, on the Alaska Highway, and so we get a lot of visitors from the United States, a lot of tourists in the summer. And we were sitting in this meeting, and we had some tourists there from Texas. And the meeting must have been on one day at a time, because I remember so clearly these two wonderful ladies that said, girls, you must remember one thing about living one day at a time. You can start your day over whenever you need to. And, you know, I've never forgotten that. So when I just thought of that then, Ellen, when you were speaking. There's something before I start sharing my story with you that I'd like to read very briefly out of Discovering Choices, which is going to be one of our workshops later this afternoon. And it's in the chapter on detachment with love. This woman has obviously come into the program and is having trouble with her husband. I don't know if any of us can relate to that or not. But anyway, this I'm going to quote this. Um, a member came up to me and asked if I realized what the serenity prayer was telling me. What do you mean? I said. I doubt if I had even heard its words that night. It has three lines, she replied. The first tells you that you can't change your husband. The second suggests that you start with yourself since you can change your attitudes and actions. Thank you, I said. But you said there were three lines. Yes, she replied. And this for me is the key here. Then you ask for the wisdom to know the difference and that requires a lifetime walk in Al-Anon. And that, my friend, says it all for me. Because the wisdom to know the difference is probably why I, I'm still coming back. When people on the outside say, Oh my God, well, why are you in Al-Anon now after 30-some years? There's where I am because it is, for me, a lifetime walk. And not just because I want it, but also because I so desperately need it. Anyway, a little bit about um, how I got here. 
what happened to me. And I've got my watch, and I'm going to make sure and try and look at the time, because, you know, quite often I bring my watch up here, and I'm so nervous that I forget to look at it when I start, and about halfway through, I think, oh, my gosh, I don't know. So anyway, I've looked at it today. Very briefly, I, I, um, I do come from the Yukon. I was born in Dawson City. Um, my husband was fond of, is fond of saying that I was born before the gold rush, but you know what? He's wrong. Um, I wasn't, and he isn't here today, so he's home doing what he should be doing. Um, anyway, I was, I was born in Dawson. I was an only child. Um, my, my mother passed away when I was six years old, and... Um, Shortly after that, my father, who was quite a bit older than, well, he was quite a bit older than me, that's a dumb statement. He, <laughs> he was very old when I was born, and um, he was very much afraid that perhaps he might not be around to see me raised. And um, that was one of his reasons for marrying, and I'm sure another one was is that he was a very lonely man and, and wanted companionship, which is wonderful. And he married a, a woman who... Um, had a slight problem with drinking. She came from Wilkie, Saskatchewan. That was my very first connection with Saskatchewan. So anyway, when I was seven years old, I had a set mother, and um, life was different. And you know what? I have to tell you, I hated being different. And that was one of the things that defined me for many, many years. I don't recollect really ever feeling lesser than but I sure hated being different from. You see, my father was a judge in the Yukon. We'd moved to White Horse by this time, which is the capital, which is not a very big city. But anyway, he was kind of, you know, the expression of a big frog in a little pool. Now, he was a wonderful man, so I'm not saying that as a put-down. But being the judge's kid was a lot like being the cop's kid or the preacher's kid. It doesn't matter. You were different, and I hated being different. You know, um, we always ate supper about 6.30 at night simply because Dad was busy with court before then. I hated eating supper at 6.30 at night. I hated it with an absolute passion. Everyone else ate supper at 5, and then they were outside playing. And I had to eat supper late. I just detested being different. And, you know, there was a lot of self-pity in here, and I didn't realize it at the time, of course, you know, but poor Barbara had lost her mother. Um, and my mom was very young. I was six and she was 39. I mean, it, it was a very sad thing, but I fed on that. You know, all those whispers. That was back in the days where children should be seen and not heard, and I think sometimes they forgot the children here. Mm-hmm. And I picked this stuff up, and I felt very sorry for myself, and I felt very different. I hated him being a judge, too. Why couldn't he just go work in a store or work in a garage and then he could eat at five we could eat at five o'clock and I could go out and play with everybody else. Especially during those long summer nights up north, you know? And I had to eat supper first. I would like to let you know now in my life I very, very rarely have supper on the table before six o'clock myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like eating your pie. <laughs> anyway, just so that you know there was a lot of unrest in there. And and my stepmother and, you know, God rest her soul, it couldn't have been an easy, cho- easy job being a parent to me because, um, because she was an alcoholic. She was a, a binge drinker. Uh, she drank at home. She also was a lawyer, uh, a very brilliant woman. And um, back in the 50s, that too was very, very unusual. So she had a rough road to hoe, and she probably had heard all these, these, these stories that went, you know, that went around, like about poor little Barbara, and then... And now she had a stepmother who drank. And, you know, I realized fairly early on that she was doing the best she could with what she had to work with. But I didn't like her very much. And, you know, she didn't mistreat me. She had a disease called alcoholism. Uh, She didn't beat me. She didn't abuse me. She loved me to the best of her ability, and sometimes her ability was less than normal. But I'm coming, I'm coming from that now. Back then, I really didn't like her, and she was different. And if she'd have dropped off the face of the earth, I'd have been very happy. 
When I was 14 years old, my father had a heart attack and passed away very suddenly. Um, it devastated me. It also made me feel even more different. You know, um, from this perspective, I can look back and see all sorts of things, and sometimes I do have to take time and just grieve that, yeah, that little girl, that young person. But back then, I must admit, you know, God, God takes very good care of young kids, and back at that time, it wasn't long before I was right back into being big, my biggest concern being when would, would I be invited to the next party, and what was I going to wear, and could I have the same clothes to wear as everybody else, you know. And, and I was working very hard at not being different. But now I really was. No brothers and sisters. Stepmother who was an alcoholic. I didn't have any parents, and I wanted to be the same as. So to put it very briefly, by the time I was about 18, 19, 20, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. You know that song? That, that just... Oh, you know, it was purely by the grace of God that I didn't get into way more trouble than I did. Because I, I just was, I was out there looking for love. If you would love me, if you would care about me, if you would accept me, if I could be the same as I do anything you want. And like I say, God looked after me, trust me, he really did. When I was, um, I don't know, around 19 years old, I'd gone to university for a couple of years, and um, my stepmother passed away very suddenly. My stepmother choked to death in her own vomit, and I know there's a really official word for that, and I can't remember what it is. But I also know it's a very common way for alcoholics to die. She was only 42 years old when that happened, and the people in Whitehorse, it was quite a small place, and an awful lot of people said that Mrs. Gibbon had committed suicide. And so I hated them, too, and I hated her. She didn't commit suicide. But you know, that isn't the way people die. Couldn't she have had a heart attack? Like, you know, this was a teenager. I was worried about the almighty me. Now, I don't blame myself for that now, because that seems I've discovered after having kids and grandkids of my own that self-centeredness is very much a characteristic of that age group. Unfortunately, what were you talking about? Self-centered fear, yeah. I still carry a lot of that, too. But um, one more thing. Barbara was different. And, you know, when I was a later teenager, before my stepmother passed away, I can remember looking at her and thinking, I will never, ever be like that. I will never drink like that and make a fool of myself. And I would like to stand here and tell you, that is one thing, no, I never did, because I seem to have a physical allergy to alcohol. I drink and I get sick, and it just comes in rapid succession. But I will tell you that what has happened to me all the way through my life, I have never had a relationship, and I have had a few, that do not involve, or did not involve an alcoholic. I was cut out to be an Al-Anon way back then. Mm -hmm. Anyway, to start, out my, to start out my adult career, if you will, here's this girl that wants to be the same as, that hates being different than, that wants to be loved. And so I met this, this young guy, and he was so cool. <laughs> and he was exciting. And I had been going out with a wonderful young man at university. I had him. When I came up north after my stepmother died to go to work for the summer, and that's when I met this exciting fellow. And you know that really nice guy back out there at university just fell by the wayside. And I understand now, I have never, ever seen him since, but I know people who know him, and I think he's done very well, and he married a very nice woman, and they had a good relationship. And I hope that Roger, that was his name, thanks his lucky stars, he doesn't know how fortunate he was. If I ever meet up with him, I would love to tell him. And he better say, thank you, God, that she left me. Anyway, I met this really neat fellow, and so, you know, a couple of things happened. We fell in love, we got pregnant, and we got married. And that started a pattern in my life. <laughs> that started a pattern in my life. Anyway, um, 
in two years, two and a half years, we had two children. We had a girl and a boy. And that marriage was a long time ago, and it was not good. I guess the main thing that I could tell you about that marriage is that we were both too young. I wanted to fix him. I wanted to control him. He did not want to be controlled. You know, normally when I speak, I have said about that marriage that I could not tell you that he was an alcoholic. But I could tell you that his drinking was a problem to me. And that's true. But I would like to tell you something else is that since then, this, this man has passed away. I hadn't seen him for 40 years. He died a couple of years ago. And he died when he was only 63 years old. And he'd been remarried and had more children. He died in a home in Edmonton, suffering from diabetes, suffering from alcoholic tremors, mm-hmm. all, all alone. So I think I've answered the question. Did he have a drinking problem? You bet he did. But meanwhile, all these 40 years ago, I left them, and I had my two little kids, and I met this other fellow, just like that. Bang. (laughs) And this guy was exciting. (laughs) And this fellow was 13 years older than me, and I was only 23 years old, so I thought, here is a guy. You know, yeah, he drank a little. He was practically the town drunk, and he was only 36 years old himself. But he drank a little. But you know that old story, all he needed was a good woman to look after him. And there I was, just awaiting. So anyway, we took up housekeeping. He took on me and my two children. And he was a chronic alcoholic. He drank anywhere and anytime. Um, and I was a chronic alcoholic's helpmate. I would do anything I could to stop this man. After a while, you know the pattern. Um, We were in love. We got pregnant, and we got married. So now I was 26 years old, and I had two. I was in my second marriage, and I had three children. And I was so sick. You know the old the old comment that we read that our that our children um, knew what was the matter with daddy, but what on earth was the matter with mom? It was just like a total stereotype, you know. I screamed. I poured bottles down the sink. I used to. We had a white enamel sink, you know, those old kind. Remember those ones? And my my husband of the day. Anyway, he he drank a lot of Schmiernoffs, and that comes in a clear bottle. Well, I used to smash the bottles in the white enamel sink. Well, you know, I had clear glass in the white enamel sink. Like, I don't know. Already then, the insanity of doing the same thing over again and expecting different results. I, I cut my hands, and that too was his fault, you know. Anyway, um... I just, I just remember we couldn't do anything because we were waiting for Daddy to come home. My poor kids, they, they, they just couldn't understand. They knew what was the matter with their father, but they didn't have a clue what was wrong with me. And, you know, it was around this time that I started going back to church. And I took those three little kids to church. They were dressed up. They were clean. And let me assure you, they behaved. <laughs> because, you know, I had to control something, so I controlled those guys. And I, I went back to church pre-Al-Anon. It, was, it filled a hole in me. I, I will admit that. I'm, I, I go to church still to this day. But I went back so that something could look good. And, you know, I wasn't just going to go to church, but I started teaching Sunday school. And I taught Sunday, and I was a good Sunday school teacher. <laughs> I just was. I did it well. And, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know what Sunday school teachers are supposed to look like, but I think I fairly well. <laughs> like, I could be a Sunday school. You guys can believe that I'm a Sunday school. <laughs> you could not believe that inside was this bit of Liz Taylor, you know. This was just a second marriage, but, you know. This relationship just got sicker and sicker, and I got sicker and sicker. And I, I, I would just give you one idea. There, there was some violence in this relationship, and I've, I've told this story when I speak, and it, 
It isn't to tell his story, but it is to tell just how incredibly sick I was becoming. Um, and I don't condone violence in any way. I just simply don't. However, <laughs> I do believe that if anyone ever deserved a bit of violence, and not bad, it probably was me. Because, you know, when I said I did everything to stop his drinking, I didn't. I don't recollect ever giving him the silent treatment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a silent type person. I wasn't him and I got him. But, but one of the times he was in that stage of, of, of drunkenness where he was functioning. He was very good at being a functioning drunk until, until it got too much. And I can't remember, but I was babbling off at him about something, yada, yada, yada. And he told me, he said, Barbara, shut up. Leave me alone. You know? Loudly and making sure the kids heard and everything. And he, he, he had a knife, and he wasn't used to flashing a knife around or stuff. I mean, he could get angry, but... And he said, if you don't shut up, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> and he nicked me. And he nicked me right here. There's no scar. If there was a scar, I'd probably show it to you. There's no scar. <laughs> but I was wearing a blouse, and I had a little bit of blood in the blouse. Like, in my imagination, it was this much. But it, it was a little bit of, of blood in the blouse. And a girlfriend was going to be coming over for supper. Well, I am going to assure you of something. I did not change that blouse. <laughs> Look what he did to me. You know, uh, how sick. How sick. All he wanted me to do was to shut up and leave him alone. He'd have either gone to the bar or he'd have passed out or wanted to drink another bottle. That's all he wanted. You know, but instead I got it all riled up, you know, I mean, so that he did something he shouldn't have done, for sure. And I figured, oh, I've been nice. And, and my, poor, my poor three kids, like, you know, this is the way our life was, complete and utter chaos. And, you know, I was still different then. And so I trot these three kids off to Sunday school, all dressed up and everything, and I was all dressed up, and I teach grade five Sunday school, and everything was good. Thank you very much. God, how sick of Anyway, as, as my husband's alcoholism progressed, unfortunately, um, he did become more and more violent, and, and life was very volatile, and it, it came to the point where it simply wasn't safe. And um, that, that relationship did end. And um, I was mortified, I have to tell you that. I was 32 years old at the time, and I was in my hometown, remember, and it's not that big. A lot of people knew. And I had been the judge's daughter. I mean, figure the scenario, the shame I felt. Self-centered fear. It was very self-centered. I cared what they thought about me. You bet your life I did. You know. Anyway, um, I went and saw a counselor about this time. And somebody a couple of months before that had suggested to me that perhaps I should go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I said, I don't need to go to Al-Anon. Nothing wrong with me. However, I went to this counselor, and he did something at that time that just was different. He was a man far beyond his time. He picked up the phone. He told me, too, I needed Al-Anon, and I said the same thing. No, I don't. I just want to be left alone. I said, I don't want him back. All I want is some peace of mind, and I want some peace and quiet for me and my kids. And he picked up the phone, and he phoned this Al-Anon member, and it, he, right in front of me, he said, I've got a woman here who really needs Al-Anon. Can you take her to an Al-Anon meeting? And that woman said, yes. That woman's a friend of mine till this day. That was intervention before there was such a word called intervention. You know. So I went. And the only reason I went to that Al-Anon meeting a Friday night in Whitehorse, and that was in December 1975, was because I thought, I can't say no to them. What'll they think of me? The old people pleasing. So I went to this Al-Anon meeting, and I, I didn't want anybody to know I was going to an Al-Anon meeting. Now, you know, I'd lived in that town for an awful long time. An awful lot of people knew me, and they knew that I had been married twice, and they knew that I'd 
there was alcoholism in my family, and I had two husbands, all oh, the whole thing, but I didn't want them to know I was going down there. And the woman that came to my door to pick me up wasn't the woman I talked to in the phone because she was busy. She said, I'll send someone else to pick you up. I answered my door, and it was a woman from my church. I think she was probably just as shocked as me. Anyway, we two are still very good friends to this day. And when I walked into that first Al-Anon meeting, I thought you people were right out of your mind. There were about four of you there, all women, and you wore nail polish, and you laughed. And I thought, oh my God, these guys are crazy. If you'd have gone through what I've gone through, you wouldn't be laughing, you know? But you know what? You, at the end of that meeting, which confused me and I don't remember a lot about, but you said, keep coming back. And I said, I don't belong here. I said, I am not living with an alcoholic and I'll never live with another alcoholic in my life. God laughed at that. (laughs) But you know, I said that and I meant it. And they said, that's okay, dear. Keep coming back anyway. And you know, so I did. And there were a couple of reasons why I kept coming back. And I'd like to say at that very first meeting it was because I wanted what you had, but I don't think it was that very first meeting, very soon after. But I kept coming back basically because you know what, you guys, I had nowhere else to go. It was on a Friday night, and I didn't have anywhere else to go. And so I did keep coming back. And very soon, I didn't know what you had, but I knew I wanted it. And, you know, when I came in the on and on at first, I, I, I classify myself as a, at, at that time as a really self-righteous bitch. And I think that's about a pretty accurate description because, you know, who looked like a Sunday school teacher? <laughs> I should not, you know, you guys. I'm still a substitute Sunday school teacher. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, I was 32 years old. I had had an alcoholic in my life from the time I was seven when my dad married my stepmother. I had two failed marriages and three kids. But you know, I if you do the math, 32 minus 7, I had had 25 solid years of having an alcoholic to blame. And let me tell you, I did it well. And I'm going to say this now, and those of you who know me have heard me say it before, but I think it bears saying it's something about truth about me. I'm now 65 years old, and I've been in Alamon, I don't know, about 33 years now. And I live with a man who is really a very, very decent person, and he's been sober 35 years. But you know, when something goes wrong, yeah, quit nodding your head. <laughs> oh, no. When something goes wrong, thank God I too, I really don't verbalize it that much anymore, but in my head, I still blame him. He's an alcoholic. And I can still blame him. And I try hard to work a good program. But, you know, there's certain things that I just instinctively do. And there's another reason why I just simply have to keep coming back. But anyway, that self-righteous bitch. There was that part of me that felt an alcoholic, that alcoholism was a moral issue. I had no clue it was a disease. It was a moral issue, and I didn't drink. So obviously I was better than, thank you very much. Okay, so that's the self-righteousness. I'm good at that. And then there was that other part, because, you know, by that time, remember my stepmother had died of alcoholism. I had two failed marriages. And everybody I loved had either died or drank or done both. And I was the only common denominator, so I thought somehow it had to be my fault. So I'm, I'm going with both of these things. And I walked in the doors of Al-Anon, and, you know, you told me it was a disease. You told me that I, I didn't cause it, I couldn't control it. I had a few issues with that. <laughs> and, 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 and that I couldn't cure it. You know? And and when you told me it was a disease, you removed a lot of the, a lot of the guilt. Because in, in along with all the rest of this, I, I was carrying a lot of guilt. So anyway, and I'm still watching the time. I got very active in Al-Anon and Whitehorse. Um, there were only four of us. 
it didn't matter if you were a newcomer. When it was your turn, you chaired a meeting. And um, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but that often is the way it is with really small groups. And it was a very good thing for me. And you know, I thank God that God's in charge of Al-Anon because I've been in Al-Anon about five months when they told me Barb Alcoholics Anonymous is having a public information meeting. They have invited Al-Anon to speak at it, and it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous are still both alive and well in White Horse, Yukon. (coughs) Certainly no thanks to Barbara speaking at that information meeting. Anyway, it's okay. It's simply what you did. That was my introduction to service work. Um, At the same time, I, I... a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous took place right next door to us at the same time. And, and um, at that time in White Horse, as in so many small towns, AA and Alnon were very, very close. And it was a wonderful experience. But I hadn't met any of them yet. And I was absolutely terrified. Now, I don't know why. I knew uh, quite a bit about drunks, but I didn't know much about alcoholics. And I, I don't know what I expected when I walked down through those doors of AA, but they had an open meeting, and it was suggested that we go. It was suggested that we listen to some some, some um, AA speakers. I walked down the stairs into that room. I still remember it. They still have open AA meetings there. But anyway, I walked down the stairs and I don't know what I expected. Maybe I thought that um, members of Alcoholics Anonymous would have two heads. Or I don't know what it was. <laughs> but I walked in the door and I, I knew most of the people in that room, which was quite a shock. <laughs> but I think often of walking down the stairs into that meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous as being kind of the beginning of my love affair with alcoholics. It wasn't really, of course. I'd already had my stepmother and two and two husbands, but I just I loved alcoholics, and I still love alcoholics. Hopefully, now I think I love them in a slightly healthier way. I really hope so. But what about me? You guys were talking to me about the steps. You were talking to me about the traditions and about the slogans. We had meetings every week. I was hanging out with Alnon people. My children were noticing some kind of a change in me, sort of, but not really. And here's what happened. We were in a little apartment, and it was the grungiest place on earth. It, it, it was. And one night, I don't know what they'd done, but I was screaming at them like a fishwife. Oh, and unlike... The typical Sunday school teacher, I, I, I can have a mouth like a fishwife. I, I can swear really well. I've had a lot of experience at it. And I was mad at them, and I was yelling and screaming, and those kids were just sitting there. Now they weren't total innocent, like their kids, but they didn't deserve this. And all of a sudden, there was that moment of clarity. And I thought, dear God in heaven, here I am, acting like I've acted over and over again. And you know what, folks? There was not an alcoholic within five miles that I could blame. And that, I think, was my first spiritual awakening. I do. I think that's when I reached my bar. And that's when I slowly became teachable. And that's when I started looking at those steps as if they applied to me. And I hope I never forget that day in that crunchy kitchen. You know, it may not be dramatic to anyone else, but it was dramatic to me. Now, it would be wonderful if I could say I haven't screamed at a kid since. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. But anyway, it, it, was, it was good. Life was good. Um, I was raising the children. I was doing the, the, best, um, the best I could. And a couple of years later, and it was only just a couple of years later, I went to this roundup. Oh, sorry. I better tell you first because I never did commit bigamy. My second, <laughs> uh, my second, my second marriage ended up in ended up in divorce, and um, I felt a great deal of shame about that as well. I mean, being divorced once is kind of acceptable, but being divorced twice is getting kind of tacky. <laughs> but I, I was for I, I feel that I was forced into it because. Um, 
because this man, the, the children's dad, and you know, he loved us to the very best ability of his ability, but his alcoholism had progressed to that very dangerous level, and in fact, it killed him very shortly thereafter. But he, he was violent, life wasn't safe, and um, I couldn't get back into the family home, and he was threatening me, and I was just strongly advised that I had to have something through the courts to protect myself and my children. And um, and I got a divorce, so I got a divorce. I had to make that clear. Anyway, and I, I was at this roundup, and there was this guy. <laughs> oh, was he ever nice? and cute and he liked me <laughs> and you know by this time I didn't have this feeling different anymore I, I felt the same as <clears throat> as all of you but you know I, I mean I was a very human person and I really liked this fellow so need I tell you anything more need I tell you anything more we fell in love we got pregnant <laughs> <laughs> I was 35, and we got married. Now, you might you might be interested in knowing that um, everyone else was a little more excited about that pregnancy than I was. So it's okay. It was all right. Um, and you know, we had we had four children, and he was in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was the difference. And I thought that was the difference. It's going to work. The other, the other marriages, there was no program. And he was working his program to the best of his ability. And um, I, I really had we had some good Alan on in White Horse, and I, I really was trying to work mine to the best of my ability. We were both active in service work. I was serving as group representative, and then I was serving as district representative, and life went along fairly well. And it was around this time that my second husband died, husband number two. And he, he, he's the one that was a chronic alcoholic, and um, he's the one that my, my children, my three older children, considered their father. He was the biological father of one, and he adopted the other two, my older two children. And he ended up having an alcoholic seizure and then an alcoholic stroke. And he was just a very ill man, and he was still drinking. He still had some friends that contributed booze to him. And he was on social services, and he was living in a hotel, and it was just very, very sad. And he wound up in the hospital, and the hospital in White Horse then actually had a padded room. It really did, and they had to put him in there. He was very ill. And he was 48 years old. And it was really funny because he'd gotten so violent towards me, but when he wound up in the hospital, I was one of the only people that he could tolerate having around him. And he couldn't speak at this time. It was that kind of seizure. It's called, I think it's called aphasia or something like that. Anyway, he he couldn't speak, but you know what? He could still swear. <laughs> and he swore at the nurses, and, and, and back then he could still smoke in the hospitals, and he demanded cigarettes, and they couldn't let him smoke because he'd have burnt the place down. And so I was able, I used to go to the hospital to see him, and I'd... I smoked at the time, too, and it wouldn't matter whether I did or not, but then he could have a smoke when I was there. And, you know, I'd been in Al-Anon a couple of years then, and I have to tell you that it was thanks to you people that I was able to do that. And that com- that completed that circle, because that man had loved me to the very best of his ability, and he'd loved my children to the best of his ability. He was a very sick man. And the fact that I could go to that hotel, go to that hospital room in White Horse General and, and light up a cigarette for him and do for him what he wouldn't let the nurses do because he hated them all and was yelling and was swearing at them was just, I couldn't have done that without Alma. I couldn't have done that without the fact that by this time I knew that that man suffered from a disease. And so I've got that to thank you for. Because it's something I am forever grateful that I was able to do. And it was very shortly after that um, that he uh, he was sent out to Alberta to Oliver Mental Hospital, and he lasted there about two weeks, and he died. And on the death certificate, which was all sent back to me, even though we were divorced because there was no one else to send it to, 
it says he died from heart trouble. He died from alcoholism, my friends. He died from alcoholism. So our lives were carrying on, and, and, and um, In 1984, my third husband, the father of my child, and this little one was five years old at the time, and the other children were teenagers, and a couple of them had moved out of home. But he was working out in Vancouver because there was a big recession in Canada going on at that time, and there was there was hardly any work in the Yukon. So he was in Vancouver, and all of a sudden I got a phone call one night, and he had disappeared from his job. And I, I never saw him again. He, um, I guess, I guess, and I really don't know. It's supposition, and I tried not to do too much of it because I, I, I didn't know. We hadn't fought. Uh, he, he hadn't had a slip. I knew that he had a lot of honesty issues and a lot of honesty problems. But whatever the case may be, he, um, he left us. He left me and his little daughter, and we never saw him again. Now, you know, that was one of the worst times in my whole life. And I need to tell you that between Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon and my friends, that you, you people kept me going. I was never, never left alone. Um, you just loved me and you looked after my little girl and you just helped me when I couldn't help myself. I was hurt. I was devastated. I was angry. I was confused, you name it, I was, you know. And, um, you know, something else happened at that time. When I'd been done my fourth and fifth step, I'd done them to the best of my ability, and sometimes I'd done a couple of them, and, um, <laughs> but there was some stuff that I just couldn't deal with. And uh, one of them was that word that we talked about a lot an hour ago, called relationships and I put it it was like putting it in a shoebox and I put it up in the closet in the shelf in the closet of my life and when my third husband left us that shoebox fell out of the closet and it burst open and you know I was looking at rejection and I was looking at abandonment and I was looking at all that crap in my life that I had put in that shoebox the fact that my mother had died, my father had died, my stepmother had died. Three marriages had failed now. You know, it was it was it was really devastating. It was really hard. And I was forty two, I think, forty two. And I I had this little five year old child. My other kids were practically grown up. And what was I gonna do? And you know, my friends in Al Anon said you need to get some help. And they said, you know, in Tradition 3 in Al-Anon, you know, anyone's eligible for Al-Anon, Al I can't even remember what it is now, but you know what I mean. The only requirement for membership is to have a, a relative or friend with a, with a drinking problem. But they said, we're not marriage counselors. We're not grief counselors. And they said, you need to get some outside help. And that is what I did. And I thank those members. I thank all of you for those people telling me to do that. Because I needed some professional help. I really did. To deal with all this stuff. And it was while getting that professional help that I finally looked at the fact that losing my mother had such an enormous impact in my life. Because you see, I just replaced my mother with my dad. And I, I it, there was all kinds of things that helped me with that. But it was mainly you people, you program people telling me that I needed help. So I went and got the help. So I was raising, I was left raising my two girls, and at that time, and I'll talk a bit more about sponsorship after, but what I also need to tell you is at that time, I had been, I had been sponsoring back and forth with two very, very dear, wonderful friends in my life. And then those two women had the almighty nerve to become members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And not only that, but and rightly for them, they did not stay in Al-Anon as duo members because they needed to focus primarily at that time they felt on their on their disease of alcoholism. And so there I was. 
And um, another friend who didn't live in, in Whitehorse, I phoned her and I was going on and on about what was going on in my life and she said, you need a sponsor. And she said, you know you need a sponsor. You've been around al about 10 years. I said, I've got a sponsor. But you see, she'd been in the Whitehorse group. And she, she said, those are wonderful women and they can be your dear friends, but they can't be your sponsor. You need an al sponsor. And you know, when you've been around about 10 years and at that time... I don't know, for me it was a danger period because because the ego kind of got in the way. In in the group in White Horse, I probably had the most seniority except for one other person, and I was very active. So who was I going to get as a sponsor? <laughs> well, this dear lady who's still a friend of mine today said, seniority be damned, girl. She said, if you look for somebody, you like their program, and you ask them to be your sponsor. So I did. It was a gal I was sponsoring, and I asked her to sponsor me. And um, she's still one of my sponsors to this day. So I'm going to move ahead quite quickly because um, I need to carry carry on. I need to get through these relationships, and then I want to talk some more about about Alnoy. And um, I was doing quite well. I was working. I had a good job raising my children, going to Al-Anon meetings, um, active in service work. And um, I would like to tell you that this time I was not I was not looking for a relationship. I sincerely was not. But one night I was going to a town about 100 miles away with a bunch of other people, and we were going to put on a public information. And I was going as a representative from Al-Anon. And... Um, this fellow, and I knew, I knew his wife had left him and blah, blah, that sort of thing. I knew he was in AA, and anyway, he jumped into the back seat of the car, and he was going to this thing, too. Well, the rest was history. <laughs> uh, the only thing I really would like to tell you, and I would like to assure you, that the pattern was broke, because we did not get pregnant. <laughs> um, we were, he was retiring, and we were moving from Whitehorse to a very small town in Saskatchewan. And he asked me, he said, you know, Barb, he said, like Whitehorse is about 24,000 people, so it's not a small town. He says, you know, Barb, he said, you never lived in a small town. He said, I'm telling you the truth. Life will be far more comfortable for you if we get married. And I said, I'm not getting married. <laughs> he said, okay, cool. He knew better than argue with me. That's why he's still the whole today. <laughs> but anyway, um, I thought about it, and, and, and the long and the short of it is, is that we did decide to get married, and um, we did get married. And he was right. He was right. There's no anonymity in small towns, and I'm sure most of you know that way better than I did at the time, but he was dead right, you know. And I guess it may be a lousy reason for getting married, but I don't know. You know, we love each other very well, and we've had good relationships, so I guess it's okay. Some people said to me, you know, that old thing, oh, my God, you've got a good thing going. Why are you going to ruin it by getting married? Well, it did work, so thank you, God. But you know he was he was in um, he was in AA. He'd been married for 19 years. His he'd been married to the same woman for 19 years. <laughs> I'd been married for just about 19 years too. But anyway, that's okay. Um, but you know it was like a rock meeting a hard place. And if it hadn't been for Alan on, if it hadn't been for AA, and if it hadn't been for the God of our understanding, that relationship would have never ever in a million years. So I am going to really fast forward because time is going on. We, we decided we were going to move to Saskatchewan, which is where, where his home was. And, and I wasn't very nervous about this. You know, as you can tell by from me now, obviously, I usually have a fair bit to say. You know, I have opinions and... Um, I used to, people said to me, Barb, this isn't going to be easy. You've lived in the Yukon all your life, and there's a huge difference from the Yukon and the prairies. And I said, as long as I've got my program and my God, I'll be fine. Well, we moved out to Saskatchewan, and I was, I had the opportunity to put my money where my mouth was, because I hated it. I hated it. I was lonely. It was like a raw sore. Um, Blaine Lake had and still has absolutely fantastic Al-Anon. Those Al-Anon people saved my life. They really did. 
Um, they loved me when I wasn't lovable because I was just, oh, I just, I just was so unhappy and so wounded. And I walked and I walked and I walked, and there was me and God. I really got the chance to put my money where my mouth was, <coughs> and I survived. And Wayne Lake Almond survived me. <laughs> and Saskatchewan Almond loved me and kept me and kept me in there. And I want to take some time now. I could go on and uh, and try and uh, try and, and tell you some more, but I basically told you what happened to me and how I got roughly to where I am today. And you know, so you know what the Liz Taylor thing was. You know, it's just I wish to God I looked like her. That's the only thing. You know, I mean, I, I, she's got way more marriages than me, and that's okay. I'm going to let her have them. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going through any more of that. But, you know, there's the Sunday school teacher image, and I am a Sunday school teacher still, and I, and I, and I love it to this day. But, I, you know, it's okay. A girl can dream. I mean, you wouldn't mind looking a little bit more like Elizabeth Taylor and a little bit less like a Sunday school teacher, you know? <laughs> like nobody looking at me would think, well, she's been married four times. And I don't tell people that unless I feel very, very safe. You know what I say, and it's true, it's true. I just say, well, um, Lionel and I have been married before. And you bet we have. <laughs> or you bet I have. And people ask about our children, because I have four children and he has six. And I just say, yeah. Well, they most of them were grown up. I didn't raise them all. Or they'd be sicker than they are now, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I would like to share a little bit about what Alnon has done for me. And I have got this sheet, and um, it's a very rumpled up sheet, but last year I was asked to speak at a gratitude night at an AA meeting. And um, so I did the gra- gratitude by the alphabet. And it was it worked really well. So I just want to get points out of this, you know, to help a bit. You know, one of the biggest things... You gave me, of course, for the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and now the 12 concepts. And I do try to work those 12 steps in my daily life. I find that I am back at step one over and over and over again. Whenever a new, a new issue comes up, I have to go back. Issue. I don't really like that word. Issue. It's kind of like incidents. You know? When something screws up, mostly when I screw up or when a problem comes up, when anything comes up, I get to go back to step one. Because one more time for me, I have to let go of it. And you know, my life gets unmanageable. And when my life gets unmanageable, I was reading in one of our readings today, sometimes a person, were, uh, someone said they work step one backwards because they have trouble remembering that they're powerless. But once their life becomes unmanageable, that's the trigger. Well, it, well, it is for me too. Because every single time now that my life is unmanageable, it is because I've forgotten I'm powerless. It's because I'm in there trying to stir the pot. I'm in there trying to fix it. I forget that the statement doesn't have my name on it. I'm to wait for the question. You know, I do it a lot. I have to go back. I have to go back to step to step on a lot. And in step two, I do have a higher power now. I had a higher power before. Don't forget that Sunday school teacher when I come in down on. And, and I did. And I mean, thank God that God has been with me over all these years. But what Al-Anon has given me is a personal, completely different concept of a higher power. A higher power who's a friend, not a threat. And a higher power that definitely has a sense of humor. Because like I told you, I wasn't looking. I was not looking for a man back there in 1986. <coughs> that for sure is a guarantee I wasn't. And yet, you know what I would have missed out on? if that person hadn't come into my life. And that was God saying, okay, Barb, let's just try it one more time. You know? And it was great. Al-Anon has told me that alcoholism is a disease. It's given me the three A's. Now, I... uh, There's lots of A's. To me, the three A's are the awareness, the acceptance, and then I can change my attitude. 
I've really got to watch my attitude. And along with attitude, you've taught me to check my motives. You know, many times I have to check what are my motives. You know, and that requires me to dig a little bit. And then you also told me about the three C's. Remember way back at that first meeting that I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, and I can't control it. And I do know now that I can't control it. Does it mean sometimes I don't try? No, I still do. I have to be careful with that. I can have huge control issues. I have a problem with control. I will have, I would have been the one in the joke. I'd have told them how to fix that guillotine. Like, how could they be so stupid to tell them how to fix the guillotine? I, I, I fully expect I'll try to direct my own funeral. <laughs> another, another thing is, another C that Al-Anon has given me, and I have to work on, but I try hard, is courtesy. If I can treat the people close to me as nicely, as politely, as I treat you people. I could be grand. I'm not a rude person. I, I, you know, I was raised with manners. We were kind of talking manners back at our table group. I was raised to say please and thank you, to write thank you notes and do all this sort of thing. But in my own home, courtesy is huge. And then there's D, and that word dignity. You know, when I allow other people to keep their dignity, when I let them do their own thing and work on their own thing, and when I do mine, it's amazing how well life goes. And detachment. You taught me not just to detach, but to detach with love. And But you know what else I've learned? Is that if I can't detach with love, then maybe I just better detach. And if I just keep hanging in and going to meetings, then the detach with love will come. And the other one, this one is mine and mine alone. This is not Al-Anon wording, but it's called doing the next right thing. And Al-Anon's taught me that sometimes that's all I can do. <clears throat> in the last year, we've had, we've had um, lots of stuff to deal with in our life. With, with one of our adult children, surprise, surprise, right? With addictions and with, with just a lot of, a lot of sickness and with, with taking on a, on a granddaughter to help raise her for a while. And there have been some days that all I am able to do is do the next right thing. And Al-Anon's given me that. And if I just focus on doing the next right thing, whether it's driving a child to school, whether it's Working as a substitute Sunday school teacher, whatever is the next right thing is just what I do. And it takes me back to that story in the ODAD about the woman in the Second World War. Do you remember that story about the woman and when the minister came to tell her her husband died and he, she said, would you like a cup of tea? And he said, how can you do this? And she said, this is what she'd been raised with. She was doing the next right thing. What would she normally do if somebody came in? And sometimes that's what I need to do. I may be upset and frustrated. I may be hurting, angry, all the rest of it. But if the dishes need to be done, you know what, Barb? Sit down and do this. Stand up and do the dishes. You know? My mind can only take so much. And... If I occupy it with stuff that needs to be done, some of the garbage is going to go up. And that brings something under G, and what for me is one of the single greatest tools that Alamon has ever given me, and that is the tool of gratitude. I, I mean, I'm not a stupid person. I knew what gratitude was. You learn gratitude in grade two or three. It's a very common word in the English language. But when I come into Alamon is when I, what I really learned what gratitude could do for me. And it's probably one of the single greatest tools I've got along with the serenity prayer. A couple of things about gratitude. <clears throat> it's the same thing. When life just simply sucks, as sometimes life does, if I can have gratitude, if I can put gratitude in here, the negative stuff has got to come out because there's only so much room. And the other thing is, is that nature abhors a vacuum. So put gratitude in because if I don't the stinking thinking is going to come in I'm good at it 
And so I really have to work at gratitude. And the other thing is something I call gratitude through clenched teeth. And I got this from Al-Anon, too. You know, sometimes I don't feel grateful, and I just have to clench my fists and clench my teeth and say, it isn't 40 below. (laughs) (laughs) There's food in the fridge. And, you know, inside, the little voice, the little voice is saying, and who cares? (laughs) But, you know, if I keep doing that, I'm healthy. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it works. Does it work perfectly? No. But it works. And I'm forcing that stuff into my head, and eventually the crowd leaves. And I really believe in gratitude through clenched teeth. I've done it lots. And I am just telling you, honestly, Pete, it works, it works. <clears throat> the, uh, another thing that Al-Anon has given to me that I, are what I call the three Fs. And it's given me my faith back, as I said, a personal faith in the higher power. It's given me my family. Um, of my four children, all four children are to some degree involved in programs of recovery. That is totally awesome. When I walked through the doors of Allen on all those years ago, you told me it was a family illness. Well, you know what, folks? So too is it a family recovery. And I am so grateful. Um, one of the biggest things I have to do now is stay out of those four children's recovery. Not easy. I have lots of opinions. And opinions brings me to Tradition 10, and I'm jumping all over the place because my time is almost up. So what I'm really just trying to do is share with you all these tidbits from all over the place that I'm dragging out of my head. Tradition 10 says that Alan has no opinion on outside issues, hence her name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Barbers should have no opinion on outside issues, and outside issues basically are other people, particularly those close to me. And you know, when my husband, surprise, surprise, does something that I don't particularly like, or he isn't the big one, he isn't working his program the way I think he should, since, you know, I'm an expert on alcoholics, right? It's an outside issue. And so I, I find it quite easy, well, no, no, excuse me. I find it easy to realize that I should work Tradition 10 personally. Sometimes I find it very hard to work it that way. But when I remember that, it's a good trigger for me. It's an outside issue. I told you it shared with you about my God. When I look at H, I think of hope. You know, I think that's the single most important message in Al-Anon. Al-Anon, the first day I walked through the doors of Al-Anon, you gave me a message of hope. And that's what Al-Anon is all about. Hope for the families and friends of alcoholics. What a gift. And you've given that to me. And all the slogans... Live and let live, let go and let God. Listen and learn. Keep it simple. Keep an open mind. Oh, sometimes I have trouble keeping an open mind. Oh, lots of things. And think. How about that slogan, think? That's another one. And it's in, I found it, I first heard it from a speaker in Saskatoon. And it is in step seven in Paths to Recovery. Think. Is it thoughtful? Is it intelligent? No, wait a minute, I can't spell. Is it thoughtful? Is it honest? Is it intelligent? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Um, You know, if I put that criteria to work, there's lots of times there's been some silences in our house. I try to use it. When I get ready just to explode, amazingly enough, when I put that criteria to work, sometimes I have to go have a bath. Sometimes I have to physically remove myself from the house to keep my mouth shut, because I'm not good at keeping my mouth shut. So if I just move and go for a walk, you know. And the one that often hangs me up is that I can think as a thoughtful. Well, I mean, as in, I think, as in, I thought it out. Yeah, I thought it out. Is it honest? Yes, it is. 
Is it intelligent? Maybe. Is it necessary? Well, obviously, I think it's necessary. And then that K messes me up every time. Is it kind? Most of the time, no, it's not kind. I really, I really need that. I, I find that really a big help for me anyway. You know? I talked to you about sponsors. I find the serenity prayer just amazing. I use it a lot. And like I say, the wisdom to know the difference is the the reason that I'm in Al-Anon for a lifetime. You know? Um, Saskatchewan Al-Anon, I think, is the most wonderful place to be. Absolutely incredible. Saskatchewan Al-Anon has loved me, has given me so many opportunities.